0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Manuel, it's, it's great to see you. And uh, even though you weren't able to there witness it in person, it's still great to watch it. Because those are people that are members of this church. Uh, And sometimes with the two services, we're two separate churches, but... I encourage you to be going to both services and getting to know people, and as Dustin said, having them over for a bite of supper where you get to know people, stepping out of your safety, uh, stepping out of what's comfortable, like Tim said, and being obedient. I encourage you to do that, but right now I'm going to encourage you to pick up the Bible in front of you, pick it up. It's not there just for for its good looks, it's there to be read. Open it up, Matthew chapter 5. Because I want you to see the word. We are going through a series uh, that we started last week called Manifesto of the King. This is uh, part two uh, from the first sermon, Kingdom Character. And so if you didn't hear that first sermon, I'd encourage you to go back later and listen to it. It's going to set the the tone for what we're going to get into right now. And we're just continuing on in the Beatitudes. Now, the message that Christ has. Now, if you look in your bulletin in the middle, there's fill in the blanks uh, because I encourage you to take notes. A guy said to me last week uh, when we were uh, having lunch, he said, "Uh, Ben, I... I listened to your sermon and I remember it was good, uh, but when I got home and tried to think of the main points, I couldn't remember it. And and I I encourage them, that's why we have these notes in the middle, so that you'll write things down, so that it'll go from your short-term memory to your long-term memory, so that it'll actually lead to some change. So I encourage you to do that. But if you see in the review, four things I just want to review for two minutes. One, this message was for the disciples. This message was not for the religious people. It was not for the uh, non-Christians, the masses that were coming. This message that Jesus goes through in chapters 5, 6, and 7 was for Christians, why do we know that? Well, we know it from his language uh, that he talks about salt and light of the earth. Uh, he talks about uh, those receiving his blessing. But, but he saw the masses, and, and he, instead of going out and embracing them, the masses that had come from all over that didn't know who he was, he got up, left, went up the mountain, and sat down. And his disciples came, and he taught them. And now, I stand up here and you sit. That's the way we do things in in our time. But if we go back to days of old, what teachers would do when they were going to teach was sit down. And either the students who were listening would stand or sometimes sit. But when I sit and I don't have a microphone to project my voice, I'm letting you know something uh, that you should get ready for some intense teaching. It's not something for casual people to listen to and this is what Jesus was about to deliver, a message to believers. Number two, I want you to know before we go on, is that blessed means happy. Blessed means happy. Uh, Not happy in a way where uh, you get from pleasure or uh, more prosperity uh, or more health, uh, but a happiness that comes from outside of this world. You can't get it in the world. Uh, TD can't loan it to you. Uh, Netflix can't provide it to you. It's something supernatural. Blessed, in its original, means when God uh, extends his attributes to you in a supernatural way. John Stott uh, tells us, which leads into our third point, uh, Don Stott tells us that the Sermon on the Mount summed up in two words is this, Christian counterculture. And that's point number three. The kingdom of heaven is the manifestation of God through human beings. It's him manifesting himself through human beings, in such a way that it's counter to the way the world lives, the world system, the world that's in darkness. John saw goes on to say the church is to be the ultimate expression of that counter culture. You cannot be in the world and be in the kingdom at the same time. You're either in one or the other. That's why Jesus, you'll hear him later going on to say, you've heard it said, you've heard it said out there in the world, but I say to you, or he'll say, don't be like those people who live in the world, but be like the people I'm calling you to be. That's number three. Number four in our just little review is this, and this is really important. I need you to get this if you get anything else. The Beatitudes, the blessings, the blesseds that he's laying out are progressive, meaning they flow one into the next. You can't hunger and thirst for righteousness unless you've mourned over your own personal sin. You can't become a peacemaker unless you've made peace uh, with God through Jesus Christ. You can't just jump into number six and feel the blessing that's coming from it unless you've started at number one. It's like I was talking to another guy I was having lunch with this week, and he's like, I really want to get in shape. I love to get in shape. Every time I get a gym pass, um, I go, and and it doesn't really work, and and, and that's true because you can't just go to a gym. If you're out of shape and you're not healthy, you can't just go to a gym, grab a dumbbell and do a couple of curls, and then you're in shape. Right? You have to develop, go in with the proper mindset. Uh, First of all, you have to go in and understand just how a person gets in shape. It's not just exercise. It's not just eating healthy. It's not just getting the proper amount of sleep or drinking enough water. You have to understand what it is you're doing. And you have to acknowledge where you failed, where you're unhealthy. You have to examine your life and say, oh, these things need to change in my life. You, you need to embrace uh, the fact that you're not in shape in order to get in shape. You have to condition your mind for the pain that's coming, right? A lot of time, and, and, and I used to train uh, recruits right off the street when I was in the army, so they'd come from civilian world and join the army, and they had ne- a lot of them had never known pain. And so when they were suffering in their sore and, and exhausted, a lot of them would give up. And that's the way it is for a lot of people, right? And so on and so forth. You have to do it consistently, I'd said to him, consistently over a long amount of time in order to get healthy. And so Jesus isn't talking about physical health. Jesus is talking about a transformation from a worldly character to a kingdom character, from the image of the world to the image of Christ. But that too is a progression. And it works one after the other. And So the first one was, blessed are you who is poor in spirit. And poor in spirit means that you are willing to be ruled you can't live in the kingdom of God unless you're willing to be ruled by God. And, and number two, once you acknowledge and, and submit yourself to him, number two is, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, mourn means that you mourn over your own personal sin. You acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you're flawed, and you're not just, oh, woe is me, but I don't want to be this way, and so I'm willing to change. Which leads into the third characteristic, Humility. A person that understands they're sinful, understands their failure, doesn't walk with puffed up shoulders thinking they're so great. They walk in meekness. They have a spirit. They take on the spirit of Christ which leads into the fourth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, When you were worldly, you craved the things of the world. More money, more pleasure, more power. But when you come into the kingdom and you understand where you've come from, you start to desire the things of the the, the kingdom. Now understand, these, are, these first four are, are all uh, passive. It's like that preparing your mind to suffer. they are things that you have to come to in your mind. You have to come to these places in order to start living them out, which is what we see next, which leads into verse 7, where we are today. We pick it up in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is compassion or pity. It is treating somebody in a way that they don't deserve to be treated. Now, basic science, and I'll do it in my my simple ways, is this. That in order to move a force... If you have a force and you need to move it and push it back, you have to come at it with a greater force, something that is stronger. And there is much evil in this world, and religion isn't going to push back the evil and darkness of this world, but mercy and compassion are what counters that evil. And when the church is unleashing mercy upon the world, compassion, it pushes back that darkness, that selfishness, that evil that we see amongst the world. When my sons and I were driving home one day, I don't know if you've gone past the Bracebridge uh, Conservation Area, you know, where the hiking trails and all of that are. Well, we were driving past there, and there's this guy. It was like dusk. And there's this guy, this old guy. He's on the side, and he's waving at us. Uh, and he wasn't a hitchhiker because he was like, frantic. And so he pulled over and it's like, oh, can you help us? Uh, my wife and I, we got our, our SUV stuck over there. And I, I get out and I look in and yeah, there's an SUV. It's stuck in the mud. It was early spring. It, really, it was really wet. And I'm like, uh, I'm driving a Honda Civic. <laughs> so I'm thinking that my Honda Civic is not powerful enough to pull your SUV out. But he begged me and begged me and so I tried it and we failed miserably. <laughs> my point was, is that the Honda wasn't strong enough. We needed a force greater than that Honda Civic in order to pull that SUV out. And God's uh, force that he unleashes through his believers is mercy and compassion and kindness and pity. That's why Jesus wept over the nations, over the lost people, because he had compassion on them, right? You and me receive grace uh, because of his compassion, because of his mercy, and so now he calls us to be merciful. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will then desire to be merciful. Why? Because they have had mercy given to them. And now, now let's be careful. Mercy we can take out of context. Sometimes we can become chumps as Christians, right? And we can just feed into people's dysfunctionalness and just, oh, in the name of love, I'll give you you know, all of this and allow you to continue to be dysfunctional and never question you or, or call you to account. Um, that's not the mercy we're talking about. But in the other extreme, uh, we, can, we can become judgmental, right? And everyone with a problem, we can just make a judgment about them without even knowing them, without even knowing the circumstances, right? The single mother, we make a judgment about her. Oh, no, sh- it's her problem. Uh, the addict, we make a judgment about them. But mercy, okay, is different. It is Getting invested in a person. And I'm going to give you three hows. How do we do this? Practical sense. Here's number one. Here's how we show mercy to people. Through listening and through careful, kind words. When Job was at his worst uh, and his friends came with some words that maybe they should have held back and just listened. Job says in Job chapter 16 verse 5, But my mouth would encourage you if you were in this kind of pain. And comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Sometimes, Christians, we can be quick to listen and quick to spout off our advice to people in their lives. And sometimes the most compassionate things we can do for people who are suffering is just to sit and listen. Let the single mother tell of her pain. Let the person in deep depression talk about the hardships of their life. And then with prayer and Holy Spirit-driven words, we can speak mercy and kindness into their life. That's number one. And number two, how do we show mercy towards people? Through acts of kindness, to help them or to pinpoint genuine need. James chapter 2, verse 5 and six, 15 to 16 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? Now, disclaimer, um, or Point in James's day, people starve to death. Right in India right now, people starve to death. Uh, in Africa, people are starving to death. In Gravenhurst, do you know anyone that's ever starved to death? No. And sometimes, as Christians, uh, we we like to get on our high horses and we give a meal to somebody or we get a part of a uh, something and and uh, run a soup kitchen and we're like, look at us, aren't we great Christians? We've given them a meal and they go off in their misery, and they go off in their suffering, and nothing really changes because we haven't really addressed the genuine need inside of them. Yes, maybe they need a meal, but there's something deeper. But l- let me ask you a question, and these are things that we sometimes shy away from because we will feed them the meal. Do you know how many people overdose in Muskoka? More than that of the who starve to death. Do you know how many people commit suicide in Muskoka? and are in deep depression more than that who starved to death. Do you know how many babies are aborted every year in Muskoka? Many, many. Do you know how many um, marriages are busting apart and families are being destroyed in Muskoka? There's a lot. And as Christians... As we live in the world and come into contact with different people, we are called to show mercy by just m- giving more than lip service, by becoming invested in people's lives, by walking with them at, if they are willing and helping them along the way, whether they're in depression, whether it's a single mother, uh, whether it's somebody addicted to some sort of substance. And so how do we show mercy? Uh, we show mercy and compassion and pity by investing ourselves in their lives. And number three, how do we do it? We remind ourselves of the mercy we have received every single day. <laughs> sometimes I look in the mirror at, at, in the morning or at night, and sometimes I look in and my wife will laugh at me. I look in the mirror and not only do I see a guy getting older and with less hair and more wrinkles, I really look and sometimes I say, oh God, I can't believe you saved me. What a wretched man that I was. When's the last time you looked at your life and realized you've been given grace today that you did not deserve? You deserved not what you received from God. And when you can look at yourself and genuinely acknowledge that, then it gives the ability for you to go out and treat people in a way that they don't necessarily deserve, but in a way that magnifies Christ and, and don't miss the promise from Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. They will receive mercy. That's the pattern. And a Christian who can't ever show mercy, who can't forgive those who have heard them, isn't really acting or manifesting Christ through them. That leads to the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, In our Canadianisms, we sometimes think the the mind is disconnected from the heart, right? And that these are two separate things. But the Bible doesn't speak like that. The Bible speaks that from the heart actually comes the thinking. And from the thinking actually comes the actions. I'll give you some examples. Uh, Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Out of a person really who they are inside is actually who they are and and somebody uh, wise once told me it's not who you really are outside of your home but who you are in your home that really shows who you actually are who you are when when all the guests are around it's just your wife and it's just your children or just those closest to you jesus says this in matthew 15 out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, deaths, false witnesses, and blasphemies. But a person's heart that is pure is one that is not focused on, oh, I want to say all Christianese words, or I just want to act in a way that I think Christians should act. But a pure heart is a person who is focused on God. Because when you're focused on, when your heart is focused on God, when your mind is focused on God, when your desires are focused on God, those other things will fall in place. And so how do we do it? Three practical ways. How you can have a pure heart. Number one. Check your heart often. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it will spring the issues of life. Isn't that so true? Out of it we'll keep, spring the issues. So you better keep it. You better watch it. You better examine it. You better be like David and say, search me, O Lord, and see if there's anything unclean inside of me. The word uh, that we see here, pure, comes from the same word that we know cleanse from, kathros. It means cleanse. So, So substitute pure and put in cleansed heart. Blessed is the cleansed Heart and with the idea of something filthy, and then you clean it. You, you make it so it's no longer soil. That's the way God wants to make our hearts. And that takes daily examination. That's number one. Number two, become accountable, become teachable. There's a guy that uh been coming to the church for a few years, and I've really got to know him over the last uh, seven or eight months. And, and he, he came to me with honesty and accountability that I seldom see. And he said to me, You know, I've been going to the church a long time. But you know what? I've never really invested in it. I've never really invested in God. I've never really gotten serious about this. I just feel so far from God. And and you have permission to hold me accountable. You have permission to call me out on anything you see in my life because I really do want to go after God and I really do want to be accountable. And I've watched God work in this man over the last six or seven months and change him. And I'm seeing things in him that I didn't see in the previous years. Why? Because he has a heart that's willing to be questioned. If you're one of those people that always has a reason why you are the way you are and has to blame it on his, your wife or blame it on your husband or blame it on your mother or father, you're never going to become pure in heart. Number three, and this is probably the most important, stay loyal to God first. Keep God first in your life. Your marriage, second, if you're married. Your children, third, if you've got children. The church, fourth. Not because you're just saying, oh, I love you more than than the others. No, no, because it's God's order for things. And see, we get this confused uh, because we think we can can manage our lives best, and God really doesn't know what he's talking about. First, God, come on. First, I want to be first. You can be second, God. Uh, But here's the thing. When a person is focused on God first, when he's number one, then guess what? They're going to naturally become a better husband or wife because God is filling them. And so out of the overflow of that relationship with them and God, they're going to become a better husband or wife. And guess what? When two people uh, are loving God first and then the overflow into their marriage, guess what? For their children... Their children are going to reap the benefits of that because they're not going to see their parents fighting all the time and trying to get their own way and and just at each other. They're going to see two people being changed by God, loving each other, and the children will benefit. And you know what then? The church will benefit when a church is filled with families who are seeking God first, loving each other sacrificially, discipling and, and caring for their children and forgiving their children then a church becomes a healthy place. And you know what? When a church becomes a healthy place, and we're always trying to fix each other's stuff because we're all dysfunctional, then the community benefits. Do you see how when we do it, starting with God, everything else falls in line? So that's the how, how we become pure in heart. What's the promise? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that's the thing. Lots of times Christians say, ah, I feel so empty spiritually. Ah, God just doesn't seem to be doing anything or using me for anything. And then we look at their life and we see, well, that's because God is number three or four or five or six or number two in your life. But God is a jealous God. He's king. And he gets to call the shots. And and guess what he says? Jeremiah 29 verse 13. And I've said this many times and and I'll keep harping it on you because it's the best thing that i can say uh, jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. you will seek me god says and you will find me when you seek me with one quarter of your heart no it doesn't say that you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with 99 percent of your heart no it doesn't say that you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart that is the recipe and, and i kind of equate it to sometimes uh Christians sometimes to the guy that gets the license he gets his license he buys a car and instead of getting in the car and starting up the engine and pushing down on the gas he gets behind the car and he starts to push the car when it shut off and after 10 meters he collapses on the floor and and hits the car and says stupid car it's not working well that's because you're not using it the way it's supposed to and sometimes Christians can can act in a way that God has clearly instructed them not to, to put him way down the list, and they wonder why things aren't working. They wonder why they're not getting the effect that they want. Put him first. Which leads to number nine, or verse nine. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We have our peace with God through Jesus Christ. The ultimate peacemaker made peace for us. And so the natural thing is then that we would become peacemakers, right? That would be the natural thing. So you might say, how do we become peacemakers? Then, well, let me give you three hows. First, by fulfilling the Great Commission. When we actively take a part in sharing God, Jesus' uh, great message of good news with other people, then they find peace with God. We're like stepping stones. We're like bridges for people to know God. That's why, you know, in places where nobody has anything but God, Christianity is blowing up because people are sharing the good news. But here in Canada, where we're afraid to speak in front of people, where we let our fears dominate us, we wonder why the gospel is not being spread and why our family members and people we know are not coming to faith. So one, we, sh- we become peacemakers through the Great Commission. Number two, through reconciliation in our own personal lives with our own broken relationships. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If at all possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do you have conflict in your life with people? And what you need to examine is sometimes you're not going to be able to fix things. People are stubborn. People are sinful. But God expects you to the best of your abilities that if you've done something wrong, you're going to own up to it. You're actually going to go to the person. You know, this is the kind of ultimate test for me with Christians. And when when I hear them in conflict, especially married people, is are they willing to own their own part? Or do they constantly just blame it on the other person? That is a real sign of maturity, and it's, a, and it's, and it's something that isn't normal. And so th- another person, when you come to them and apologize, even if they're 75% of the problem, it really softens the person, and they see you in a different light. So through reconciliation is number two. Number three, through mediation. We are called to help people that are in conflict mediate. We're called to be mediators. As Christ mediated for us, we mediate between Two parties. So don't miss the promise here. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And not they will be called sons of God, like they're saved through these, but they shall be called sons of God. By who? By the world. All right? People take notice when someone humbles themselves and apologizes. People take notice when somebody gets into the middle of two people in conflict and looks to bring peace by listening by speaking wise words, by caring about both people. And so people start to notice when you're a peacemaker and you will receive that blessing. And so we've seen the progression, okay, as we're coming to the last one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who submit to God and are under his rule. Blessed are those who mourn, uh, who admit their their sinfulness, they will be comforted by God. And then they, blessed are the meek, those who develop that humble spirit. They could be powerful, they could be strong, they could be wealthy, but they don't need to show it off to everyone. People feel comfortable around them. People feel safe around them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the next step. You start to want the things of God. Blessed are the merciful. You start to act like God, showing mercy. Blessed are uh, are those w- who are pure in heart. You start to put God first in all areas of your life. Blessed are the peacemakers. You start to bring people into peace with God and with other people. And here's the last part. Jesus says, live this way. And heaven will notice. Live this way, and other people will notice. Live this way, and hell will notice. Let's read it. Verse 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets and those who were before you. Why? Okay, here's the why first. Why will we be persecuted? Okay? Because, and write this down if you're filling in the blanks, why will we be persecuted? Because it is the inevitable clash, it is inevitable that, sorry, it is the inevitable clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Let me say that again. It, the persecution, the conflict, is the reconcilable clash between two irreconcilable value systems. You get it? They're opposites. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of heaven are opposite, and they will clash. Some people will come to faith through you, and some people will hate your guts because you represent Christ. And you have to accept that, uh, that it's natural consequences when you have a supernatural focus. You You won't have persecution, and people won't really take notice of you if you're just a Sunday Christian, if nobody really even knows you follow Christ. But if you focus in on him, if he is first in your life, hell will take notice, and those who work for hell will take notice. Paul says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Notice it says, when you are persecuted, Jesus says, not when you might be persecuted. And he says, when people insult you, because you're going to be insulted. So that's the why and the when. When will you be? When should you expect all the time? No, for righteousness sake and for my sake, Jesus says. Not the obnoxious Christian. You ever meet one of these people? Uh, They're obnoxious. They, they look at you with judgment. They stand with their shoulders puffed up high and look down on you, right? And they'll condemn you for every little thing you've done in the past and every little thing you're doing now. And not persecution for being obnoxious, but persecution for living and doing right. Sometimes that will come. So that's the why and, and then the how. Because Jesus said something here, be glad and rejoice. Excuse me, Jesus, be glad and rejoice that people don't like me that people are burning my house down, that I'm getting fired or made fun of at at work. Yeah, that's what Jesus says. I'm not saying it. Jesus is saying it. Well, how? How do we do it then? Well, he gives us two things to, to inspire us. One, the great reward. You gotta look ahead. You gotta remember, we live this way and we will receive a prize in the end for everything. God sees everything. Your reward is great in heaven, Jesus says. And number two, because you're following the line of great men and women, right? He says, they'll persecute you just as they did the prophets and the people of old, right? And so Isaiah and Nehemiah and, and Jeremiah and, and Ruth and all the great men and women that have lived in the past that received persecution for following Jesus, you're following along the path. So you should be happy about that, right? Because wait a second, I'm not alone. I'm following a great line of men and women. If you follow me, Jesus says, Be prepared. And you should be preparing yourself. You should be preparing your family, talking to your kids about this. Because the days of good old Christianese uh, life in Canada are over. They're done. And they're not coming back. We had a little brief century of relative peace where everybody accepted Christians for the most part. And a lot of people you knew were Christians. But those days are over. And you can even see the change in just 10 years. Remember 2012? And, and look at 2022. Like, culture will embrace anything and everything except that which is of God. And, and so we need to be preparing ourselves for the possibility of persecution, that we will be insulted, and that some of us may someday give our lives for our faith. The Beatitudes is a, a road map. For those who want to have their characters transformed into kingdom characters. who those who want to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And life is short. And I've only got so much time in my life. And I genuinely want these things to happen to me. What about you? I genuinely want to be conformed to the image of Christ. What about you? And I don't do it perfectly. And you're not going to do it perfectly. But know that this is God's desire for you. He wants to bless you with supernatural happiness. And so he says, come and partake. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.